0: And we welcome you to the Thursday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. On today's program, we're going to be talking about an interesting and important undertaking by the theater department at Carthage College, and a play that had its world premiere via Zoom earlier this year, a play called Frontline, created by the verbatim theater class taught by Professor Martin McClendon. This play sought to tell the story of frontline healthcare workers contending with tremendous challenges amidst the COVID-19 pandemic at its worst. This play was never intended originally to be shared with the public beyond uh, the virtual presentation that was recorded and shared on Zoom. But recently, a grant was secured. Uh, from the Franklin, I, and Irene List-Saman Foundation, which made possible the remounting of this work as live theater before a live audience. And those performances are going to be occurring tonight, tomorrow night, and Saturday night in Carthage's Studio Theater. Performance is conceived as a fundraiser for the Shalom Center, and all ticket proceeds will be going to them. The performances are going to be featuring a talented cast of Carthage College alums, and uh, Carthage alum Kayla Bingen is responsible for original music that will be enhancing this project. This set of performances is being done in cooperation with the nursing department at uh, Carthage College. So on today's program, we are rebroadcasting the Original interview about Frontline that aired earlier in 2022 with Professor Martin McClendon and with Melissa Schmidt, at that point a freshman at Carthage College and one of the students in Professor McClendon's verbatim theater class. Professor Martin McClendon and uh, Melissa Schmidt, we welcome both of you to the morning show. It's great to be here, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Glad we can have this conversation. So, uh, so Martin McClendon, first of all, we should uh, acquaint our listeners, if they're not acquainted yet, with the term verbatim theater. And uh, and I know Melissa took your class in verbatim theater, so she is going to be able to uh, talk about this to some extent as well. But we probably should begin there with this concept of verbatim theater and what it means and how long it's been around.
1: Oh, those are great questions, Greg. And... Um... I'm going to let Melissa take a crack at it and see how much she remembers from her J-term class about verbatim theater techniques. Uh, You know, just give us the broad outlines, Melissa, you know, when, when did this start and what is it?
2: Um, Well, although it is in my notes, uh, the year that it started, I unfortunately cannot remember right now, but basically verbatim theater all started um, to basically shed light onto the untold or unheard stories uh, with events that are going around in the world or personal events and it's basically to yeah shed light and give that voice to people that can't express what they're feeling or what's going on
1: yeah yeah great uh, that's a great definition melissa and um yeah verbatim theater goes back at least to the 1900s as a propaganda tool actually um In some ways, or information tool, depending on how you look at it, Um, it was used by the by the Soviets in Russia uh, to reach peasants far and wide who maybe couldn't read or write, but wanted to know what was going on over in Moscow. Um, But also, it was used extensively then in the 30s and 40s by the Federal Theater Project here in America, um, where they had a project called The Living Newspaper, where they would literally stage newspaper stories of of important events that were going on during the great depression and the new deal um in the modern era verbatim theater has been used uh specifically uh, there's a niche called uh, trial theater um where trial t- transcripts such as the trial of the chicago seven uh were staged you know using the actual words of the trial to let people glimpse into the courtroom and see what the proceedings actually were and um the most famous verbatim play of all here in the United States is, of course, the Laramie Project, <clears throat> which you had mentioned off the air before, uh, was, um, was recently done here in the area by the Racine Theatre Guild uh, last year, uh, where uh, a company called the Tectonic Project went to Laramie, Wyoming, and spent 200 hours of interviews there talking to the residents to create a two-hour play um, uh, to give, as Melissa said, the voice to uh, unheard stories to people who wouldn't otherwise have been able Uh, to make their voice heard. Um, Here at Carthage, of course, in more recent times, we've used uh, the verbatim technique, um, which we started in 2015 with my student Laurel McKenzie, uh, to shine a light on veteran issues. And so for the last five, six years or so, we've been doing veteran plays and vet night of the arts, a lot of it based on the testimony of veterans.
0: So let me uh, draw a couple of terms from kind of other areas, just to, have you create maybe some parallels and contrasts so for instance then is verbatim theater by its very nature non-fiction versus fiction
1: wow that's a great question I mean at its core in its definition you would say yes it is non-fiction it's you know it's closely related to documentary theater possibly where you know you're telling about real life events um but uh, it can use interviews from people. It can also use news clippings. You could you could take transcripts of CNN, <laughs> you know, or or of a president speaking at a press conference. You know, you could put that into the play. Um, and so, really, the emphasis is on the real words that people actually spoke. Now, what you do with those words, obviously, you know, is uh, uh, you know we we are really committed to making sure we don't embellish, we don't add anything and we don't miss, uh, mess up the context of what people are saying as much as we possibly can, we, we preserve that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, to draw from another genre, if you will, uh, in what way does this relate to what we uh, often erroneously term uh, reality TV?
1: Oh, another great question, you know, and we actually, this came up in the class. My, my student, Nikki Caldwell brought this up and asked, is this like reality TV? Because he had just seen something about um, how one of the characters on one of these shows felt really manipulated because they had taken all the clips of the show and lined them up to make him the bad guy, right? Even though, you know, in his mind, he he wasn't, he hadn't, you know, been, you know, that evil to the other housemates or whatever it was. Uh, And so uh, we had to, yes, kind of unpack that and say, No, we we really want to give as clearly as we can the viewpoint of the people that we're talking to kind of as an objective exercise and let the audience come away with whatever they want to kind of sum up out of the combined testimony.
0: Would a decent parallel be drawn to, for instance, what's called cinema verite in the world of documentary filmmaking, where you, in a sense, just point the camera at real life and real people and capture whatever it is that's happening
1: i think that yes in certain instances and there are verbatim theater makers who do that who create you know kind of landscapes of a riot for instance or a big town hall meeting or something like that they record all the voices and then they recreate it in the theater um but but you're also right that necessarily you know i mean we collected 12 hours of testimony and we only have two hours You know, to present it. So, although we try not to mess around with the context, we do do a heck of a lot of editing in order to get it to the two hour mark.
0: For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Martin McClendon from the theater faculty at Carthage College. Uh, He is professor of theater there. And also with us is Melissa Schmidt, a freshman, social work major, theater minor, and basketball star, who uh, was also a student in uh, Professor McClendon's verbatim theater class, this J-Term, and they have gathered, as Professor McClendon just mentioned, 12 hours of interview material with six different uh, healthcare workers uh, in order to put that together, that material together in a play called Frontline, which will shortly be shared with the public. Uh, So Professor McClendon, you've in the past done projects somewhat similar to this related to the stories of military veterans. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what prompted you to want to shift your focus this time around to healthcare workers.
1: Yeah. And um, I'm going to have Melissa do
0: a follow up on this,
1: too, but uh, from the student perspective. But but basically, you know, verbatim theater has become really part of my practice as a theater maker. And uh, my colleagues at Carthage Theatre, you know, very graciously have, you know, kind of indulged me in that. And um, you know i've written or co written or just directed verbatim plays that students have written as well. Um, you know, in various ways, but we never made it a class and so over, you know, once we had kind of gotten a technique down that I had developed with the students and I want to emphasize again that students have always been a part of of, of the explorations into how do how the heck do we do this, you know how do we come from nothing to a script, you know. Um, and so we decided to try it as a class uh, and therefore give the students now the opportunity on a wider basis, not just the students who were interested, right, or excited about it uh, generally like Laurel McKenzie, or I'd also name Emma Swain, um, who is another, uh, you know, budding playwright from Carthage, who, uh, who also worked on verbatim pieces and created them. Um, so we do have those folks who are really into it, but I also, I I wanted to, you know, spread the, spread the love a little bit more and see if we could get some more students into the, uh, into the experience. And so that's why I want to turn it over to Melissa and see, you know, did it work? Did you catch verbatim fever?
2: (laughs) I can tell you I caught verbatim fever, Martin, um, Yeah, I, when I first saw that it was a class that I was able to take, I immediately emailed Martin because it was originally for like theater majors and I'm this little freshman, like, can I take an upper level class? But this was such, not only a welcoming environment with all the other students who not all were theater majors or minors, um, which was really cool, but also this is an issue that is going on right now. We were interviewing frontline workers who are still working in the front lines and have gone through this pandemic for the last two years. I've been in this career path for even more than the last few years. So getting to hear their perspectives and then turn it into something that other people can hear was just so intriguing to me. And I felt it was very, very important Um, Yeah, so the ability to shed light on these stories and hear them firsthand was something that I knew as a performer and as a human could better my understanding of something that I don't understand firsthand. I have my own opinions and my own experiences of how I have dealt through and went through the pandemic, but this was a whole a whole different lens that I had to put myself into and it it really it really helped me a lot
0: Mm. Professor McClendon how did you uh, go about finding healthcare workers to to talk to what were the means by which you ultimately made these connections and was it always your intention to talk with a half dozen or is that just kind of where it ultimately sort of landed on its own
1: More great questions Greg. So the genesis of the project actually came about because we were, you know, we had the class and we knew the class was coming up and we wanted to do something right. We wanted to lift up an unheard story. And so sort of casting about, you know, various things, you know, going on around us, but um, we were actually approached by an individual in the healthcare community who didn't really know about our class or anything, but was wondering if there was a way that um, the theater department or the arts could in some way shine a light on, on this. And I happened to get, uh, you know, a hold of this, uh, you know, concept from this individual. Um, And it was a lengthy process back and forth, sort of figuring out how could we do this? How could we get access to folks uh, and so forth? Um, But, uh, you know, it took several months kind of in, you know, sort of behind the scenes negotiations and so forth. Um, But the, the real key then once we kind of got the green light to do the project, you know, from this individual from Carthage Theater was that we created a website, and and so the the website allowed us to uh, expand our call. Basically, a website with a call for entries, right, for participants, and so it isn't just Southeast Wisconsin. We we have people from all over the country. Uh, in fact, I uh, you know. Uh, it's it's everywhere there's there I really can't or shouldn't even identify where folks are from um as they're speaking but um in any case uh we do have six participants which really uh you know we we could have used more but the more people you use the less time each person has in the two hours and so in order to really concentrate and allow a story to unfold a someone's life journey almost um you do have to limit it. The most people we've ever done in a verbatim piece, I think is 12. And it starts to get, I mean, you can do it bigger. You know, Laramie project has dozens of characters, right. Um, And so forth. Uh, So, you know, it's, there is no limit, but we decided, you know, on six and, uh, and we had six very willing folks who, you know, came forward and uh, you know, wanted to talk about their experiences.
0: Right. Tell us a little bit about the, the means by which these interviews were conducted. And and what did these interviews sort of look like and sound like? And were, were was a similar array of questions posed to all of them? Or was each interview sort of its own living organism that sort of went in whatever direction uh, it was sort of destined to go?
2: For the structure of the interviews, They were all basically the same. It was Zoom format and Martin and Becky both were going back and forth, asking questions. But it started off with just wanting to get some background, trying to warm them up because we weren't going to get them right into the nitty gritty right away. Um, And we wanted them to feel comfortable in the setting and like they can actually feel like they can open up. And the rest of the students, we were all muted um, our cameras were off, but we were all listening and just going along with the process while Martin and Becky asked the questions, like I said. Um, some unfolded in different directions than others. Like, in general, they were asking or answering these same questions because Martin and Becky had certain questions that we as a class and need what we needed for some structure of the show uh, and what we wanted to try and find out and hear from them. But for the most part, yes, they were all structured the same, but it was very interesting to see the different perspectives in different directions and how from certain questions, some of the interviewees would go into a tangent that we weren't expecting and they weren't even expecting. And it was... This experience for all of us, and it was just really eye-opening that they were able to be that vulnerable with us. And I would say that we were very appreciative of that, um, appreciative of that. But yeah, that that's something that was not expected from the start, but it was pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh,
0: Professor McClendon, as you. We're at the outset of this, and, and not knowing where each of these interviews was going to go, did you have some sense of how representative these six individuals could be of what's a large and complex sphere? I mean, the healthcare field is uh, plays out in a lot of different places, and uh, and also the experiences can run the gamut from the truly horrific to the heroic to uh, whatever. Uh, I mean, how, how concerned were you that this not be six people essentially retelling the very same story in a way that would feel redundant versus six stories that really represented kind of a wide swath or were you not at the outset very much concerned about that
1: uh yeah you're you're asking all these great questions greg it's making me think and reflect a lot on this um but uh you know we really lucked out too we got six individuals who um although they are similar in that they were all hands-on people who are caring for patients, you know, or in the COVID wards, right? Um, they all did bring different perspectives. Um, several of them work in hospice care. Um, one of them is a CNA, certified nursing assistant. Um, there were people who worked in uh, intensive care units um, and, and so forth. Uh, but, you know, all of them had the similarity, you're right, of being, you know, like sort of hands-on care of patients. Um, but the thing is that all of there are so many experiences. There are so many ordeals that people have gone through and these people are in all these different regions of the country. Right. And it's sort of interesting to see how similar some of those stories are and actually, you know, some of that stuff really reinforces the trauma, right? That, you know, people across the country are feeling and going through the same things, you know, the same kind of stresses, um, and, and so forth. Um, And I did, I did just want to circle back to and and explain um, that that I didn't interview these folks alone we did have for most of those interviews we had Dr. Becky Hornung from social work uh, with us and Becky and I have collaborated on several previous projects. Um, And we also, you know, zoom has this cute chat feature right so the students were able to. Uh, text us with the chat feature and also put their own questions in but the way we designed the questionnaire if you will the questions that would start things off is we brainstormed with the students before we started the interviews right so the few days before we had our interviews the students and i you know just threw a bunch of questions together and figured out, oh, well, this one's sort of like that one. And we came up with a list of about 20 topics that we wanted to talk to everybody about. And it was chronologically arranged from the beginning of their time in healthcare up to today, and obviously including the COVID pandemic in the middle. Um, So that's kind of, I'm hoping that goes some way to also sort of giving you an idea of how we kind of started to already front load some structure into it before we even spoke to even one of the participants
0: once the interviews were conducted the interviews i understand were transcribed and uh, it sounds like it was the students who uh did the brunt of that transcription work melissa schmidt uh tell us what kind of a challenge that was i mean in some ways it seems like it might be time consuming but it's just you know you're listening and figuring out what people are saying and typing it but uh i have a feeling maybe it was a, a a more challenging assignment than it might appear to be at a glance
2: yeah, well, when you're trying to edit out all of Martin's little little things here and there, <laughs> um, no, but as much as yes, it was time consuming and tedious when you do want to keep the ums and the, the you knows and just keeping everything possible to make it as authentic as possible uh, because we do want to keep that verbatim piece like this is exactly what they said. Um, it really just was time consuming. I would say that would be the only part that really bothered me, but it was really cool again to go and hear the interviewee again. And real, I feel like I was getting a different perspective on the interview again, even though I already had heard it. And it was a couple days after. So it was nice to refresh, but also specifically since we were assigned to the interviewees and that's ultimately who we portrayed in the show. I really used that to hear the rhythm and hear just the flow of how the story was going, but also really paying attention to each phrase and even the pauses, because that's even as important as when there is something being spoken. So... Yeah, I think it just, it helps solidify not only how I wanted to portray certain things, but also, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that horrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so Professor McClendon, tell us about the process by which all of this material, 12 hours of raw material of these six interviews, how that was transformed into a two-hour play. Uh, I suspect sure. it was a lot more complicated than just uh, cutting away it's 10 hours of stuff, so you're left with two, but we also have, have to have two hours that are cohesive and meaningful and and representative of of what these folks were sharing with you. Uh, talk about that, that process, and were the students at all involved in that process of hammering out the play itself?
1: Oh, yes, they were, absolutely they were. Um, and, and so, you know, Carthage has this J-term experience, right? So in the January term between the semesters, we have four weeks of intensive one class, right? So you take one class, but you do it for three hours a day, five days a week. And that's what really allowed us to do this entire thing in just four weeks time. Um, so, you know, we interviewed the participants on the first week, we then transcribed and started editing the second week, the third week, we started then reading it aloud and editing even more. And then finally we started to rehearse what we had and continue editing. But in between all those steps, right? So first, as Melissa said, each of the students transcribed in Teams, uh, various interviews, they would then go through the interviews looking for material that matched up with our 20 topics, right? And especially stuff that was either meaningful or super informative. So then we used the magic of Google Docs right to simply cut and paste those passages into a master document right which ended up being, you know, like three, two, 300 pages or something I, I don't know what it was exactly. Um, but, you know, uh, very quickly thereafter, we started to as a team right so everybody was doing this. We were reading through the play and literally saying, Well, isn't this repetitive? Didn't this person say that thing just two minutes ago? Okay, we're going to get rid of that, right? Or this section really belongs up here, right? And so the the process was literally just three hours a day of eight people in a room, well, or a Zoom room, depending on where we were, um, putting this together and taking it apart and putting it back together again. Uh, And then uh, after class, too. I, I tell the students, whenever I'm doing a project like this, I become utterly obsessed with it. And so I would tinker and edit. And I think a couple of the students too would go in and especially work on their, their roles or, or so forth um, in order to get us down to 43 pages is what we ultimately ended up with out of 200, 300 pages of text.
0: Uh, Melissa Schmidt, what can you tell us as one of the students involved in terms of that process of hammering out the finished script
2: well, um, I said that the transcription wasn't horrible, but the editing and hammering out many details was tough because not only do we want to show the entire story and give light to every single detail, you can't do that. And so it was, it was another tedious process. But again, having everyone doing this together, it made it easier, but also we really got to focus on what needed, needed to be heard and what flowed into the other interviewees as well. Like that, that was a big, that needed to happen as well, because that was the only way for it to flow together and have it make sense in a way since like I said earlier, some things turned into tangents. And while those are beautiful things because some of those tangents are things that we wanted to hear or didn't even expect and ultimately used in the show. um, But in order to bring it down to the 43 pages, which took some time, we needed to really go full in and look at everything individually all over again um but it was doable we got it done Hmm. and that's how we ended up with our two hours of a really good show
0: yeah and I suppose that is often the experience when whether you're a, a novelist or a whoever you are a composer that that a lot of good stuff ends up on the cutting room floor, as they say, yeah. that can be a very <laughs> painful thing to have to relinquish things that just, in a sense, don't miss, don't work or mm-hmm. just hurt the whole. Um, I, 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 I don't envy that, uh, w- what you experienced in that. For those of you just joining us, we're speaking with uh, Martin McClendon, professor of theater at Carthage, and Melissa Schmidt, a freshman, social work major, theater minor at Carthage, She was one of the students in Professor McClendon's verbatim theater class this J-term. And they have together crafted a play called Frontline, which tells the story of six anonymous healthcare workers. And uh, I had erroneously said from southeast Wisconsin, but as Professor McClendon said earlier in this interview, they actually uh, come from all across the country. And uh, those stories are gathered together into this play that will very soon be uh, shared with the public. Professor McClendon, uh, the students were not only involved in the crafting of this play, but then in the performance of this play, which was just recorded via Zoom. So tell us a little bit about the pairing of your students with particular healthcare workers. I mean, were they each assigned a different one to, in a sense, portray? And, And what was that process like of bringing this to life was it the same as any other theatrical production that you've directed in the past i mean what what was that part of this process like
1: uh, well you know with with a the verbatim theater play that we were going to present on the main stage, we would hold auditions right, and we would have a play ready, and you could see which roles you know and how people fit into those roles. Uh, this was a very different process, especially because you know because it was a class, I really wanted the students to be be the in the driver's seat from the beginning to the end and so it didn't matter if they were theater majors or not we wanted them to also then portray the the healthcare workers um so the last week of the class where we were you know still furiously editing and cutting we were also rehearsing at the same time we were running through the thing over and over again and you know trimming as we went and and so the students who weren't as experienced in theater were getting some you know experience under their belts and we would give them notes and and so forth you know we uh, just like a director would on a regular show i would give folks notes but also it was sort of a crash course for for people who maybe hadn't acted in a very long while or maybe had never acted um you know since grade school or whatever high school um on some of the basics uh, and again i couldn't do much but you know we we kind of emphasized that you know you don't really have to do anything more than just be honest you know just approach the material and speak it from your heart, honestly. And so we had nursing majors in the class. We had that social work major, Melissa, who is also a theater minor though. She's got some theater chops, but um, a couple theater majors, um, an art major. uh, And I think I want to say a psychology major was in there too. Um, And so really a wide variety. And the the other thing was that the six people we interviewed, um, all ended up being women. And we only had five women in the class and two men or male identifying female identifying if you will and so we did recruit another uh, actor to portray that other uh, female identifying person hope posley Uh, and then the two uh, male identifying folks in the class max and nikki became the interviewers so in our script we have interviewers who are now leading us through and we actually used the verbatim text to the most part of our questions that we had asked, that Becky and I had asked, to create the frame for the story. Um, and then in terms of how they decided which roles to play, I think we just kind of let the chips fall where they might. Um, we had folks kind of, you know, some perked up and said, oh, I want to do this one or whatever, and others said, it's okay, I'll do whatever. And so that was, it was a pretty uh, painless process, you know, um, uh, of doing that and just kind of. Uh, allowing people to kind of gravitate to, toward those roles. Um, one of the interesting things that happens with verbatim too, is because the way we talk, you know, if we if we were to transcribe this interview right now, Greg, we would, ne- we would be able to study it and we would have no question about, even if we took the names out, we would know who each person was because of the rhythms of how they speak. So we would be able to identify Greg's words versus Melissa's versus Martin's. And so it's really interesting to see how the actors start to absorb by osmosis right the way that the people spoke um when they actually did the interviews and so there's almost like a little echo that you hear in some ways of the inflections the rhythms um, of the interviewees at the same time that the actors make it their own
0: so did you create this in a way where these six healthcare workers and i'm really saying the actors portraying them are in the same room at the same time as though on a stage in a standard play or 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 was the, the framework and in a sense the locale of this uh, different than that
1: yeah yeah so as as Melissa alluded to we wanted to tie things together and so we created the kind of illusion that we were in a like a town hall meeting of healthcare workers right so that they're all in a circle talking. To each other with each other, responding, and you know again, it's really interesting you know you, you when you ask the same kind of questions to each of the six people, then you get sort of similar answering points or in a, you know insertion points where you can kind of start a dialogue, and then oftentimes too you'll see that they very often kind of riff off each other, even though they were on, recorded on different days in completely different parts of the country.
0: Melissa, tell us about what it felt like to be one of the actors actually portraying one of these uh, healthcare workers. And how did this compare to what I assume have been earlier experiences that you had on the stage?
2: Okay, uh, yeah. Being able to hear the words directly from who I was trying to portray was very heavy. Like as much as that, it was a good guiding point, taking in the fact that this is nonfiction, this is coming straight from someone who has gone through these tough experiences and is still currently going through that it it was different it was different um i i loved this experience though because of how important it is to shed light onto these stories. And as a performer, like I had said, this is something that was so intriguing. And now after doing it, I not only have heard so many different perspectives and so many stories from these frontline workers, but also this is going to hopefully change a lot of perspectives of other people who hopefully will be able to get their hands on this recording and see that what is being told in the news or what people are talking about how horrible it is in the hospitals it's true it is really happening and people have sort of turned a blind side to that so being able to not only embody that role but also now being the start of something that other people can witness and maybe change their mind, that I nothing can match that. That's something that is really different in comparison to being in a show where it's just for the entertainment.
0: Hmm. Uh, Professor McClendon, what was the directoral process like for you in terms of leading these young people in their portrayals? Uh, and I suppose this is maybe. This is something you've experienced before in other kinds of verbatim theater projects but i mean what is your goal in terms of what these performances are like are you wanting them to in a sense impersonate these six healthcare workers as as much as is possible or does that that not figure at all in terms of your goals as a director working with these actors
1: yeah, great question. Again, with the great questions, Greg, um, I'm gonna riff a little bit off what Melissa said too, in that I tried to impress upon our students that this is mission-driven theater. And that mission is to give that voice to unheard stories. And, um, and so it's a little different than another process where maybe I'd be as cons- more concerned with um, the subtle nuances of the, of the moments. Um, the, re- the main mission here is to get these stories out uh, and and to thereby honor the sacred experiences that we've been entrusted with by these healthcare workers who take care of us every single day, as Melissa alluded to, um, they don't get they don't get near the credit or the compensation that they deserve. And you know, again, whatever your political viewpoint, there is no question about that. Um, but uh, there are certain verbatim companies who even. Um, who really strive to bring everything of the person on the stage such to the point where they actually have an earpiece and they would be listening to the recording and literally emulating it. Right. Um, uh, that's, yeah, that's done in uh, there's a, there's a company in England that does that. Right. Um, they don't want their actors to even try to characterize or memorize. They want them to literally be like a vessel that brings the voice out. Right. Now we're, we're a little different. Um, we don't want, I mean we don't need people to impersonate folks but i i did encourage our actors to listen back to the transcripts and hear what is it that's really getting these folks fired up what is it that where do they pause where do they giggle right because there are moments of levity too you know and moments of excitement and moments of accomplishment as well as moments of trauma and pain and grief um and so the sense is more that our actors understand the overall journey and the ways that um, the person changes right through that. And then as a director, maybe not so different from another show, I just got to get out of their way. And then I have to help them get out of their own way a little bit too, and kind of unblock and access the places where they might be similar to their what their character is feeling and and what they're going through and the sympathy and empathy that
0: happens there. You touched on something I, I had forgotten to ask. I'm glad you reminded me uh the, Crafting of this play could have yielded uh, something that was uh, a really almost unbearable slog through just one one uh, horrific tale of woe after another, and uh, it sounds like you have avoided, I think, what would have been an unfortunate choice. I mean that that there that there are more colors here than just kind of the toughest, harshest facets of this story. I mean, not that those don't deserve to be front and center, but it sounds like this is a play that has some texture to it, a a variation of colors, which probably allows the typical audience member to take in the most difficult parts of this story. I'm assuming that was a very conscious choice, uh, not only in the formation of, uh, of the play and the choice of words, but also in the way you chose to present it and 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 foster these actors.
1: Yeah, and you know, one of the keys there is is Becky Hornung's input as a social worker. Because this, you know, the interview technique that we use is really actually closely aligned to narrative interviews and social work that you do with a client. And it was something that we kind of stumbled upon by accident in the years that we were doing verbatim theater, but it's Becky kind of confirmed for us and, and helped us build on this that, you know, you don't want to just be, as Melissa said earlier, just be like, hey, tell us about your worst day, you know, what's it really like out there or whatever, you know. We're not trauma farmers, as the author Justin Hudnall puts it, um, but uh, but we want to actually, like a social worker, get to understand the full context of what these, what these reactions to these terrible events are coming from, and also how we can showcase and highlight resilience, so that by the end of the interview, and also hopefully by the end of the play, we're showcasing the resilience. Um, Yes, we are pointing out the problems, the systemic problems that these uh, folks are suffering under. And yes, sometimes I I have to say, by, by design, this play feels like An endless slog through day after day of basically exposing yourself to a deadly virus in a highly, you know, contagious. I mean, it's, it's everything you would think it would be of that kind of a story. Right. Um, But there is no story ever told by humanity that doesn't in some way also talk about resilience and talk about the humor that we use to get through things or just the things like faith that we might Grasp onto in order to take us through the toughest times.
0: Do you worry that uh, that anybody who sees this would decide in an instant not to go into the healthcare field? I mean, that I mean, is it is this something that could potentially scare away people who might otherwise want to be doctors and nurses and so on?
1: Well, I think it's kind of like the the veteran plays if you want to join the military, nothing's going to stop you. You can know and be clear-eyed about everything that might happen to you. And especially when you're young and you have that energy and we have two nurses in the, in the piece, in the class and a psychologist and a social worker, Melissa, or have you contemplated a change in, in career at all?
2: Honestly, no. I mean, same with the others. And that is something that the interviewees, some of them actually touched on, uh, Um, because obviously they're very committed to their jobs. Maybe they did want to change uh, whichever hospital they were at or um, which branch in the nursing field that they wanted to fulfill. And they even said that with this pandemic and the shortage of nurses, it's still very prevalent because there are a lot of nurses, maybe not them, but there are a lot that have resigned or have changed career paths because of how strenuous the last two years have been. And even before that, they already were not getting correct compensation or credit for the hard work that they're putting in. Mm-hmm. So maybe it wasn't the interviewees or the students in the class changing our minds on our career path, but it they did bring light to it still being an issue in general.
0: Martin McClendon is a professor of theater at Carthage College. Melissa Schmidt was a freshman at Carthage at the time that we recorded this interview earlier in 2022, talking about the original presentation of the verbatim play Frontline via Zoom. This play is now being presented as live theater before a live audience for the next three nights. Tonight tomorrow night and Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. in the Studio Theater at Carthage College. These three performances uh, are serving as a fundraiser for the Shalom Center, and all ticket proceeds are going to benefit the Shalom Center. And the performances will feature a cast of talented Carthage College alums, and Kayla Bingen is responsible for providing original music for these performances. If you would like to check on ticket availability or purchase tickets for any of these performances, you should go to carthage.edu slash tickets, carthage.edu slash tickets.